Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 18, from the message. I have a serious concern to bring up with you, my friends. Using the authority of Jesus, our master, I'll put it as urgently as I can. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. I bring this up because some from Chloe's family brought a most disturbing report to my attention, that you're fighting among yourselves. I'll tell you exactly what I was told. You're all picking sides, going around and saying, I'm on Paul's side, or I'm for Apollo's, or Peter is my man, or I'm the Messiah group. I ask you, has the Messiah been chopped up in little pieces so that we each can have a relic all our own? Was Paul crucified for you? Was a single one of you baptized in Paul's name? I was not involved in, with any of your baptisms, except for Crispus and Gaius. And on getting this report, I'm sure glad I wasn't. At least no one can go around saying he was baptized in my name. Come to think of it, I also baptized Stephanus' family. But as far as I can recall, that's it. God didn't send me out to collect a following for myself, but to preach the message of what he has done, collecting a following for him. And he didn't send me to do it with a lot of fancy rhetoric of my own, lest the powerful action at the center, Christ on the cross, be trivialized into mere words. The message points to Christ on the cross seems like a sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction, but for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, has anybody told you today that you're the beloved of God? Hmm, you are. Beloved sons, beloved daughters, beloved whatever our gender is. Beloved, beloved, beloved. So I'm on this Facebook group with other clergy, United Methodist clergy from around the country. And some of us are preaching on the, the text that Anna just read from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, which is all about some of the church divisions that were happening in the first century. And so one pastor put out this post that asked this question. He, he said, help me out, folks. What are some of the silliest things you have ever seen church folks fight over? <laughs> I'm not going to read all of them. <laughs> As of yesterday, he posted that on January 25th, on January 22nd, as of the 25th, there were 235 responses. And some of them were really funny, some of them were really embarrassing, and some of them were very consistent. I'll just, I just picked a few. Here's what some churches in our denomination fight over. One pastor wrote, I had a church lady throw artificial flowers at me because someone bought new ones and placed them in the planters. One by one, she picked them out and threw them at me. I kept telling her it wasn't me. <laughs> one church argued if the walls of the fellowship hall should be painted off-white or eggshell color. One church argued if a guest at an event we are hosting should be able to use the restroom or not. Mm. We moved the pulpit for a wedding and the treasurer of the trustees got upset over it and left the church. At an administrative council meeting, two near 50-year-old ladies, fists clenched, both arguing over which was right, 
contemporary or traditional music. One pastor wrote, whether or not I was allowed to shorten the last song to just the first and last verse. The DS even got called and the bishop got emailed. I'm, I'm so glad to be serving the Chatham United Methodist Church. We haven't argued about this stuff. Which family I spoke to when entering the Ad Council? The other, church, the other family left the church. One church argued over turning a, a storage closet into a prayer room. One pastor just wrote, paint colors, carpet color. <laughs> colors of the front doors. One person wrote, if you paint them red, I will never come back. Red means Catholic, and I hate Catholics. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And then the last one I just chose for no particular reason. Round tables instead of rectangular ones. <laughs> oh, the things we fight over as followers of Jesus. But you know all of this stuff. It's really not about this stuff. It's about ego. It's about power. It's about who's feeling heard or not heard. Or maybe sometimes when our lives aren't good in our workplace, we bring all that stuff to church. Or maybe our lives aren't so good at home and we bring all that frustration to church. It's called family systems theory. We're all part of different systems. And if one of those systems is not functioning well, it affects the other systems that we're in, including the church. But this is nothing new. I'm so grateful that the apostle Paul wrote what he did, and I'm so glad that the Christians who came after him did not edit him. This is a, quite an unedited letter that Paul is writing. Remember, Paul didn't take a course at seminary about how to write letters to the early church. He's going, he's going with the flow and responding to letters he's getting from, in this case, Chloe's people. But I sense that if Paul reread that letter and realized that this letter was going to be saved for thousands of years in the canon of Scripture, he probably would have edited himself a little bit more. Have you ever sent an email and you type it off kind of with some frustration and you hit send and there's almost a recoil coming from the computer? And then after a while you realize, oh, maybe I should have reworded that. Or perhaps a comment on someone's Facebook page and you send it with some degree of frustration, and then you realize, oh, I just put that out there, and maybe I shouldn't have worded it quite like I did. I wonder if Paul felt that about this particular letter. He hears from Chloe's people. Chloe must have been a businesswoman who was able to afford people who could run errands for her and be her own mail service who could travel, get word to Paul, hey, the church in Corinth is split into different factions. There's those who follow Cephas. There's those who follow Paul. There's those who follow Apollos. And then there's those who follow Jesus. 
and they're all arguing over who is right and which group is more righteous and which group is more holy and which group is more favored by God. And Paul is just embarrassed by this. And he says, I didn't teach you this. You're arguing over whose who's group has been baptized by whom. He said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. Do you hear his frustration? He says, well, I baptized Gaius and Crispus, but other than that, I didn't baptize. Well, I baptized Stephanus and his family, but I think that's the last thing I remember about anybody I baptized in Corinth. Do you hear how Paul is just backing away from them and saying, I'm not a part of this. I'm not taking responsibility for your behavior, church in Corinth. I'm so glad he was not edited. He says... We've got to discover who we are in Christ. He starts out his letter knowing that they were dealing with divisions and says, brothers and sisters. He's calling all of them, every one of those different groups, every one of those different divisions, he's calling them brothers and sisters. As if to say, we're family. Sometimes it's difficult to be family. Sometimes it's difficult to be the church. Sometimes we don't see eye to eye, but we're called to be one in Christ. That's what we pray. That's part of our prayer statement in the Chatham United Methodist Church. When there's division all around us, when we feed on division coming through our computer screens, our social media, our TV screens, especially now, and Christ has called us to be an example of oneness. Not that we all have to be uniform. Because we are not. And we're not called to be uniform. We're not called to be the same. But we are called to a, a unity in Christ. We're called to follow Jesus together as Republicans and Democrats. Those who disagree on impeachment. We're still called to follow Jesus together. And to figure out how we can do that with a sense of civility and love and grace. I long for the day when people will say about the Chatham United Methodist Church, oh, there's something quite unusual happening in that place. They've figured something out that they love each other. They disagree with each other vehemently on certain things, but they, they love each other. They've learned how to forgive each other. They have figured something out about doing the hard work of holding community together and welcoming people into the church. If you knew about a church that was going through divisions and that they were angry at each other all the time, would you want to go there? I, I wouldn't. Friends, there's going to be some high-profile news in the next few months about our denomination splitting or disintegrating or disagreeing with one another on human sexuality and on the scriptures and on who God is. We may need to get out in front of that as a 
congregation of goodwill and a congregation that welcomes all people to say, no matter what the denomination decides, we're going to be a congregation that welcomes all people because God has welcomed us and we're all imperfect and we welcome other imperfect people. It's hard work to do what God has called us to do, but the Spirit of God led us to not only a statement of welcome in the last year, but a few years ago led us to a prayer statement that I continue to encourage us to to pray. We prayed it this morning. And it's right out of the great thanksgiving in the United Methodist hymnal. It's kind of one of these hidden pieces of wisdom. The prayer is, pour out your spirit on us gathered here. You can say it with me. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. That, friends, may be what we need to pray even more, not with our heads, but our hearts. Because the world is longing for a witness of a Christian faith that has authenticity and integrity and is coming from a place of love where there is oneness in Christ. Where there is oneness with each other. And where, is, where there is oneness in ministry that goes out to where people are. Friends, I close with this story. A few years ago, I was invited by some Presbyterian friends of mine to go to the uh, Essex Fells Country Club for a dinner and speaker. The speaker was Father Elias Shakur. Have any of you read his books? Father Elias Shakur is a, a pastor in the Melkite Church in Israel, Palestine, and he's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize numerous times. He is someone who has grown up with great injustice in his own life as a Palestinian. But early on, he decided not to buy into the hatred that was happening between Palestinians and Israelis. And he decided with every ounce of will to see every human being as a child of God, no matter what their faith background, no matter what their tradition. And because of that vision he had, God gave him a sense of love for all people. And people knew it. And so he was a bridge person. He gathered people from various sides of the wall that separates that nation state to come together to find common ground. He, he opened a school that was not only teaching Christians, it opened the doors to Jews. It opened the doors to Muslims. And kids of all faith traditions were learning together. He told a story of one Palm Sunday where he was in his congregation and the congregation he was serving at that time had been going through a lot of church fights, church splits, church divisions, people angry at each other, families where even in their own family they were not talking with one another, certain factions within the church that wouldn't look at one another, let alone say hello. It was toxic. And it was affecting the whole congregation. 
because people were walking on eggshells and they didn't know exactly what to do. Neither did Father Elias. In a moment of inspiration, he was giving the benediction at the end of the Palm Sunday service. And something in him that he can only explain as the Holy Spirit stopped him mid-sentence. And he put his hands down and he said, I can't finish this blessing. Because it's just words. And I feel like I can't send you out to do the work of Christ because you're so angry. He walked to the, to the back of the church, to the main doors. He put some chains around the doors and locked the doors. He came back into the sanctuary. He said, brothers and sisters in Christ, I have locked the doors. Either you all figure this out and forgive one another and reconcile with one another and love one another, or you can decide to kill one another and I will do your services for free. But we can't go on like this. And there was a long silence. And everybody's mind was racing. Who's going to move? Who's going to say something? One of the guys in the congregation was a police officer. He loved wearing his uniform everywhere, even when he was off duty, because he loved the power that he had wearing that uniform. And he used that power and abused that power. He stood up, he walked to the front of the church, and, he, and, and Father Elias says, everybody in, the, in, everybody in the congregation hated this guy. And Father Elias confesses, even my own family didn't like this guy. The police officer stood there and he said, look, I have done some terrible things to you, to this neighborhood, and I am sorry and I ask for your forgiveness. The police officer had tears coming down his face. He didn't know what to do. He turned around and Father Elias just opened his arms and hugged him. And that began the way forward. And people in certain families that weren't talking to each other started hugging one another and crying and laughing. People came across the aisles and, who had not talked to each other in years and hugged one another and cried and laughed. Father Elias went to the back of the church, unlocked the doors, and gave his benediction from the back and said, Today is not Palm Sunday. Today is Easter because the risen Christ has come to visit us and now we are ready to take our faith out into the world.
Friends, whatever baggage we may have with our families, with one another in this church, with our neighbors, with whoever it is, don't let that stop us from being in the the flow of love that God hopes for each one of us. Because that's what God needs to change the world. And if we are hanging on to resentments or hanging on to old hurts and old wounds, it's like having the foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. We won't be going anywhere. We can only move forward when we forgive more easily and then forgive again and then forgive again when we reconcile, when we cut each other some slack and decide we're going to follow Jesus today and we're going to follow Jesus tomorrow. And when we make mistakes, we'll start again and we'll follow Jesus together. May it be so for you and for me and for us at the Chatham United Methodist Church May it be so for our United Methodist Church throughout the world. May it be so for all Christians so that our divisions don't have the last word, but so that the risen Christ and the love of God has the last word and the first word as we go out into the world. Beloved sons, beloved daughters, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, God has work for us to do. Amen.